and welcome to Open Source Underdogs. I'm your host, Mike Schwartz, and this is episode 44 with Yvonne Wassenaar, CEO of Puppet. Yvonne is the third CEO of Puppet. Luke Kanes was the founder. We interviewed him in episode 22. Sanjay Merchandani succeeded him, and Yvonne took over from Sanjay in January of 2019, about a year before we recorded this episode. A CEO who takes over a company like Puppet needs a different skill set than your typical founder. Whereas the founder needs deep domain knowledge, usually a hands-on approach to business development, CEOs for companies in later stages of growth need this intangible corporate leadership ability. It's hard to say what it is, but you know what it is when you see it. Yvonne has it, and she also has the values, and an understanding of the culture that complements where Puppet is in its corporate life cycle. I don't want to spoil any of the content, so I hope you enjoy this interview. Here we go. Yvonne, thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely. It's great to be here, Mike. When you joined Puppet early last year as as CEO, why did you want to take on this enormous responsibility, steering the ship with hundreds of employees and thousands of customers? You frame up Puppet so well in terms of it is a large employee base. We do have a lot of customers, and I'd extend it even further into we've got a massive community around the globe. And I did think really long and hard around was I the right person to take on the responsibility to bring Puppet and the impact of Puppet, the company and the community to the next level? And the reason I, I said yes to that, that question to myself and, and to the board is as I thought about the opportunity, um, Puppet to me represented the perfect place for my step, next step in my journey for the following reasons. One, the values that, that are represented by Puppet and the Puppet community align really well with my own in the sense that we're really focused around you know, being open source core, kind of the democratization of technology, diversity and inclusion, having impact at the practitioner level, and really making a difference in the, the world around us. And to me, uh, I feel life's very short. And having strong value alignment is really important. And what Puppet represented resonated very much with me. The second thing is really around the technology and the problems that we solve. I deeply believe that Puppet and the technology that that we build and we're extending upon with the community um, and with our own team makes a difference in the world around us. Makes a difference not only in eliminating soul-crushing work, which is what Luke started with, but makes a difference in terms of enabling companies to achieve the agility that they want in a secure and scalable way. And as an ex-CIO, the risk of cybersecurity, I think sometimes is underestimated. And it's really beholden upon all of us to think about not only how do we leverage technology to make the world a great place, but how do we do it in a safe way? And so to me, if I think about the values and I think about the actual product and offerings that we're bringing to market through the community and with our commercial offerings, that resonated really well. And so the third component was, can I personally make a difference? And given my experience across companies like New Relic, VMware, uh, and my time at Accenture, I felt I had a good 
breadth of experience that I could not necessarily bring the answer, but ask the right questions and bring the right team on board to really deliver our true potential as a company. So those three things combined all lined up. And having been here a year, it was definitely the right decision. It's been it's been a great ride. I think we're doing amazing stuff and I can't wait for for what's yet to come. So in the past, uh, I might have described Puppet as being a configuration management platform. But today, Puppet's moving into areas like continuous compliance, incident remediation, and continuous delivery. Why expand the product surface area? And I'm also wondering, how do you evaluate the risks that come along with that expansion? Puppet as a configuration management platform, I'd say even some people would have said tool, has been the market perception of who we are. And that very much is grounded on where we started. And to me, the fascinating part about your question really comes down to the fact that the big shift that Puppet made in this last year was going from talking about what I would call feature functionality, which what Puppet does is really we, we automate infrastructure in really, really powerful ways to talking about the use cases and the business problems that we solve. So what's interesting is from a technology standpoint, what Puppet has built out over the years is going from a declarative approach to infrastructure automation, which is where we started, which is returning environments to a known good state, to extending that into both declarative and task-based automation, which we leverage our open source project Bolt to support and drive and Bolt integrates with Puppet Enterprise. So we had both declarative and task-based, both agent and agentless. And now we're extending even further into workflow event-based automation. And so the tool has gotten more robust in terms of the types of things that people can do with it. But the real shift, I think, from from an impact standpoint is we've started to really be able to harvest from our customers, what do they use that tooling capability for? So, you know, certainly some people are using Puppet truly to to manage the configurations in their environment. And that's the main driver. They're looking for that efficiency, excuse me, and scalability of what they're doing. We also found, however, that some people are deeply dependent on Puppet for compliance and that understanding that that's the business use for the tool or one of the one of the business uses for it allows us to better serve up and meet those needs and interestingly from an incident remediation standpoint again there's a lot puppet does from a declarative model standpoint that was always kind of remediating your environments in some way shape or form if you think about it but it's a very simple extension into integration with security scanners like Tenable and, and Qualys and Rapid7 to really start to go from having you know a scan and then manual process and sorting through PDFs and Excel files to get to business impact to saying, hey, I can ingest that information, make it contextually aware in the environment and allow people to act on it in a much more automated way, which not only reduces the work effort, but very importantly to my earlier comment on cybersecurity, reduces the time to remediation of a known vulnerability, which improves your security profile. So 
the big shift, I think Puppet for a while has been making the tool or the platform more robust. But the shift that I think you've seen in a marketplace perspective is more around how we characterize what our technology can do in the context of business problems and business outcomes. In your first few months as CEO, what were your priorities? And did you feel like you needed to pivot the business after coming in after the founder? And I'm wondering, was there really a pivot needed or did you see that it was more of a requirement to incrementally improve what Puppet was already doing? Yes, it's, it's always challenging when you take a company over as CEO in part because there's a, a huge piece, piece of the culture and the connection with the people that comes with that top job that you have to be sensitive to. When I look at the journey of Puppet, Luke actually ran the company for the first many, many years very successfully in the creation of this new market and the proliferation of the technology at that practitioner level. There was actually another gentleman, uh, Sanjay Merchandani, who took over from Luke and ran Puppet for three years. And what Sanjay had focused on was really selling higher up into the enterprise. And kind of to your previous question, looking at you know going beyond configuration management, what was important in the marketplace. As I took Puppet over a year ago, the, the key things that I noticed, one was that we were very much on the right trajectory. And it was more some fine-tuning and focus that we had to, to drive to the business. And my real time and attention in the first year, first and foremost, was on appreciating that a CEO change, no matter how great I may or may not be, is an, an experience that you need to work through with your employees and with your community. And so my first focus was on the team and the community and really aligning around purpose and and kind of your first question, why was I even there? Did I care about the same things they did? Were my values aligned? How were we going to come together as a team and really drive the next level of the journey? I think that's important advice for anybody taking on a, a senior level role. Start with the people. And then really from a business perspective, looking at how could we, you know, get the biggest impact with the things that we had? How could we simplify and focus what we were doing to those that would make the biggest difference? So we did trim the the product portfolio a little bit. We doubled down on areas where we felt we had differentiated capability. We started to focus a lot more on the engagement with the community. We had drifted a little bit away from that, which happens sometimes. So really looking at, we did our first ever in-person contributor summit looking at how we could really kind of nurture both the, the community who had gotten us to, to really to where we are, as well as being in, in meaningful service to our enterprise customers, who at the end of the day are a critical part of the business model as well in scaling what is now a relatively large company that has a strong open source base and also has a sustainable monetary business model to carry us forward. What would you say the value proposition is for Puppet today? I believe that Puppet has gone from being a kind of a practitioner tool that eliminates soul-crushing work 
which is a really, really important thing that, that we have extended upon that value proposition to being a platform that enables business agility in a safe and secure way. And the, the way that I see us really bringing this to market is if you think about, you know, the modern enterprise and, and to be clear, open source projects, you know, they're in service to everybody. We really focus our commercial efforts on what I would call the global 5,000. And in that segment, those companies are going to be in a hybrid or a multi-cloud world for many years, if not decades to come. And Puppet is uniquely positioned to, in some regards, be their automation everywhere platform, be it in the data center, into the cloud, and increasingly across the internet of things. And we're able to do that because we have a portfolio of automation capabilities. So different types of automation are actually required for different types of use cases and needs. And so whereas before the world was a little black and white, you know, it's either declarative or it's imperative and there were religious battles. It's like now we realize that many different types of automation are needed when you operate at that scale. And we offer all of them in a coherent way. And we're starting to build out the intelligence from that practitioner level up through the executive level and helping people do things all the way from get the work done to create the reports and the insights that the auditors need to get you through that compliance check. So for me, the the real value proposition for, for Puppet in the commercial space is being that automation everywhere platform that gives you the action that makes things like your ServiceNow and Splunk implementations complete. Because they might be able to tell you what to do or where the problems are, but it's really when they integrate with Puppet that you get that completion of that loop that that everybody needs to truly get the business impact. So Global 5000 is still a very horizontal market with you know all sorts of different you know vertical segments. I'm wondering from a tactical sales and marketing perspective, when you're trying to convey business value to these different segments. Do you have to change the marketing a little bit or is there any vertical marketing or segmentation going on in how you look at the customers and how to sell to them? Yeah, absolutely. I I love the the question that you asked because there are so many horizontal technologies in the world and I've worked with many companies back in the day BEA and and VMware all very horizontal in terms of their capability. What's interesting, however, is the importance that you highlight, which is differentiating how a product is built versus how a product is bought and consumed. And that's when you do benefit, I think, from taking a more vertical or use case approach to a technology. And for us, for example, we do a lot in highly regulated industries and Financial services is a great call out. So even though, you know, the puppet product offering are the same, whether we're in service to retail or financial services or tech or government, how we speak about the technology can start to vary in terms of those segments. And at the enterprise level, referential buying is a real thing. You know, if I'm a large bank, I'm greatly comforted if I know five other large banks also use that same technology. And you can start to help them understand the the financial services banking problems that you can solve. 
And as I mentioned, compliance, there are certain compliance requirements in those industries. And so you can start to make it much easier for your customers to get value out of your technology and to trust your technology when you can speak in their language and when you can connect them with their peers who are in a similar way using your technology to solve problems. So what we've done uh, to answer your question from a segmentation standpoint, one is, is recognize where are our open source solutions most relevant and valued and, and continuing to feed and nurture those. And then being really thoughtful on where our commercial offerings are most valuable and drive the greatest impact. And on the commercial side, then further sub-segmenting into vertical industry. And then as we talked about use case, are you looking to solve problems around incident remediation and reduce time to vulnerability remediation? Are you more interested in compliance reporting? At the end of the day, you know, I like to kind of joke, you know, puppets, a Swiss army knife, it can do a lot of things. That's a blessing and a curse. And when you work with large enterprise, the more specific you can be on the problem you solve, I kind of use the analogy of an Ikea furniture. At the enterprise level, they really don't want the big box of Ikea furniture showing up in a bunch of little pieces without an instruction manual and they have to solve it themselves. Some people like that and get a lot of joy. It's usually not my customers. They want to have a simple, easy way to get to business outcome. So we've really done a lot to, to make that clearer and easier for them. I thought it was really interesting how you mentioned that you were, let's say, investing a little bit in the open source community, for example, an event for contributors. I'm wondering if you could talk about how do you prioritize investments in the commercial product versus the open source product? Yeah, I think about open source a lot. For me personally, I believe we are where we are in terms of the rapid technological advancement because of open source and how that's really proliferated around the globe in so many ways. And I do believe that it is a great way to democratize access and contribution to technological development, particularly with underrepresented groups in in countries and locations where they may not have otherwise been able to participate at that highest level. So I'm a big believer in the whole concept, and I'm really proud to work at a company that appreciates and celebrates that and invests in it. What I think is really important in the seat that I sit in is appreciating the fact that open source has, in, in our case, a, a, a almost moral and principle value but it's also a critical component of our strategy. It is not the business model itself, but it's a key part of our strategy. And I think of open source in a couple different components. We have open source tools. So Puppet Open Source, Bolt, those are tools that our, our community members can contribute to and benefit from. We have open source content, which in our case lives on the Forge, which makes the tools even richer. And we have some people who only contribute to content and some who only contribute to the tool and some who contribute to both. And then we have the users of that open source content. And to me, it's important when I think about the open source community, I think about all those constituencies because they're all critical players, even though they're playing in different roles. And I'm very proud to say we have over 75% of our commits still coming from the community. We have a very active community. And for me, what's important is that we're continuing to nurture the creativity, the innovation, the access 
at what I would call that ground level of capability. And that we're allowing people who have interest and ownership and pride in the solutions that we've built to be able to continue to contribute and get the benefits from that over time. So we do a lot of things from, we did a, a, a contributor summit in Budapest last year. We are uh, doing puppet camps again. So we've reinvested in that. We're currently in the process of making them virtual just because of the, the environmental challenges with the coronavirus. But we're looking for ways that we can help people who are part of the puppet community be able to have a platform to speak about what they're doing with the technology, why the impact it's ha- having and help others. We have, you know, obviously community managers, we've got Slack channels, we've got some interesting ways that we're looking at engaging with the community from a support perspective. So there are many different aspects to it. And to me, one of the beautiful things is I think open source has evolved a lot in the last decade. And I like to think as Puppet as one of the folks who are leading through that evolution and how you continue to give back and, you know, garner benefit in a very, very productive way. So super excited about what we've done. I'm sure it will continue to evolve, but, uh, but I do think it's part of what makes Puppet special. So originally, I'm sure open source was one of the primary, let's say, distribution channels for, for finding customers who are going to engage with you commercially. But I'm sure that the sales you know, process and motion has gotten very mature as the company has grown. How does it work today? Would you say that the open source still really is a driver for business? And and if if that has if it's changed, like um, how have you adapted to that change? The go to market side of Puppet has evolved a lot, and open source has, um, as you suggested, played a critical role. And I believe it still does, but but it's it's shifted. In the beginning, you know, a lot of people who but the Puppet commercial products came from the community and they were the practitioners who were bringing that technology into, into their environments. And, and yet many of the open source users never felt the need to actually go and buy a commercial product. They scaled up and they built their own UIs and their own ways of advancing the open source project in their company. And so we did go through a phase where in the early days, there was a lot of inbound. And what I would say is now the two things that have shifted. One is as our ability to drive impact across an enterprise has increased, as the maturity of our solutions have increased, we're actually selling to higher level individuals in a company. And so what I like to say is, you know, we're not just selling to the hands-on keyboard people. We're selling to people who may never actually touch Puppet, the technology themselves. And yet the fact that there are Puppet practitioners in their company is super important. So I think one, open source serves us today because it keeps a, a rich set of talents in the marketplace that can work on and scale and execute the technologies um, that we're bringing to the enterprise customers. The other thing that we've found is um, many of our, our, our enterprise customers have in some way, shape, or form, or division used or are using open source. And they're just at a point where it's no longer differentiating for them to do all the work around upgrading the open source and everything else. 
to do it that way. And they rather move to the commercial version, take advantage of the incremental feature functionality, have a simpler upgrade process, have 24-7 support. And so for us, you know, I would say in some regards, open source is still the land. People are using it. And then they're starting to realize open source isn't free. You're just making different choices. Do you want to have the the engineering talent work on keeping your open source implementation healthy and current and to build around it. That's the right choice for some. For others, they're saying, hey, open source was a great way to get something started. Now it's starting to run a critical component of my business. Maybe I'm better off from an opportunity cost perspective to engage with Puppet, to have Puppet provide me those services of incremental feature functionality and reporting and support. And I can spend my valuable engineering talents time on other things that might differentiate me as a retailer or a manufacturer or a bank. Would you say that Puppet is open core? What I would say is Puppet has, and I think this has been the big shift in terms of how we think as a company, um, Certainly, Puppet Open Source, you know, is a a very mature, very impactful project that many people can build on top of and have, quite frankly, around the globe, which is wonderful to see. What I would say is as we think about the broader Puppet, what we're looking at is how do we create open source capabilities that people can stitch together in different ways to solve problems? And we don't just look anymore at, we have to be the sponsor of those open source projects. We absolutely um, contribute upstream to other projects. We leverage other open source solutions in some of what we do. You know, for example, Terraform and Puppet work great together. There's actually some great webinars on how you leverage Bolt and Terraform to drive provisioning and in configuration and actioning on that. And so we've really taken a much more open-minded approach and thought about open source more almost from a component or an ingredient standpoint that can be stitched together into whatever solution that you need. And some of those solutions we stitch together in a commercial way for our large, complex enterprise customers. And others, we're providing the componentry that's companies can stitch together in the way that they need if they want to do something all open source or put their own secret sauce magic to it. Pricing is, I think, really hard for every company, surprisingly difficult. And it seems like the impact of and the value of Puppet is so enormous to organizations. How do you find the right gates to figure out or to find the right strategy for pricing? And you've only been been there for a year, but have you seen that change? Do you think that the pricing model that you've figured out is going to be stable? Pricing is an incredibly challenging topic, I think, to your point, for, for pretty much everybody. And to me, what, what I learned early on back in my consulting days is one of the best ways to think about what the right pricing model is for your company is to start with the value chain of what you're bringing to your customers. And so if I take an an early day example of, of like an eBay, you know, marketplace, you know, you're bringing value by creating community. 
you're making value by letting people sell through that community. You're making value by letting people buy through that community. You're making value by providing different ways to attract attention. So you can kind of like map out all the different value points and then you can make decisions on where do you want to price to be able to get a return on the value you're creating. So eBay, for example, could have chosen to say, hey, you've got to pay to get in and then everything else is free. Or you can get in for free. There's value there, but I'm going to give you that for free and you're going to pay on these other steps. So I think every company needs to go through that process and figure out where the value is they're driving for their, for their audience that's worth having a, an exchange. The interesting thing is it can easily become way too complex. And so sim- simplicity is an important rule of pricing in my experience. And then longevity, particularly if you're in the enterprise space, you don't want to be changing pricing all the time and it runs through your systems. So I feel Puppet, in terms of where, where we've come from, that we have a pricing model that has worked for, well for us and for our customer base on where we're at. Are there opportunities to fine-tune it and evolve it over time? I'm confident there are. I've never seen a company that, that hasn't at some point in time started to shift and think differently about their pricing. But to me, whatever you do with pricing, it has to center around, you know, what is the value that you're bringing your customers? And can you come up with something that's simple and easy for them to understand that will scale out for a meaningful period of time? Because a hard thing to do is change your pricing all the time. That's an easy way to upset your customers and make a lot of enemies in procurement. And nobody wants to do that. Yvonne, you might have noticed that the male-to-female ratio in open-source underdogs is currently 41 to 2, and we're trying to improve that ratio this year, but it does sort of reflect the reality of the tech market, which is that men are overrepresented, especially at the C-level. What can we do as an industry, or even more tactically, what can I do as a founder of a software company to improve that ratio? I love that you're asking the question, what can you do to improve the ratio? ratio? Because I believe at the end of the day, it has to start with individual ownership and action. And we can talk about really lofty things we could do, but at the end of the day, we need to create the future reality that we want. And we all have a role in it, whether we're male and female, different types of ethnicities and, and so forth. If we want a diverse world, we have to create the opportunities for that, a diverse world in leadership, I should say. And what I believe what you can do first and foremost, I appreciate this opportunity, just showcasing um, Puppet and myself and having different types of role models in your podcast. I've had numerous women come up to me and tell me that they aspire to be a CEO. And in part, they aspire to be a CEO because they see me doing it. That's incredibly humbling, but it's also a great reminder that for many people, if you can't see it, you can't believe it. So I think first and foremost, showcasing different types of role models, um, that it's not just one type that, that a successful leader looks like, um, but that there's many. The second thing is sponsoring and encouraging people to step up to that next level. What I have found working with underrepresented folks is that myself included, we can often tend to be much more risk adverse. And so encouraging people to reach higher. Um, to build their confidence that they can go to that next level, sometimes to give them that nice gentle push, (laughs) maybe not so gentle sometimes as I had in my career. Sometimes you just need that. So I think creating the models, I think giving the pushes, 
and then giving the opportunities. Take a risk on somebody. You'll be amazed at what they'll do with the right sponsorship and support. So I think there's a lot we can do across the board, but I think those are three tactical things that at an individual level we we can engage in, things that I try to do all the time. Last question. Any advice for entrepreneurs who are looking to use open sources as part of their their business? Absolutely. I, I live in Silicon Valley and I run into a lot of people who get really confused on open source. And what I mean when I say they get confused on open source, they, they confuse a, um, perhaps a desire and a belief around the power of open source as a way to democratize technology and bring important solutions into the hands of everybody with the fact that somehow you're going to have to figure out how you're going to make money. And so to me, it's really important to understand you can get both. I think Puppet does both, but you have to be really thoughtful. What is the role that open source is going to play in your business model? Because it is not a business model into itself. That's kind of rule number one. The second thing that I would say is community, community, community. I don't think you're going to get a lot of benefit out of just open sourcing the technology you build if you're the only one building it. Certainly people might use it. Um, They're not going to pay you for it. They might benefit from it. They might like that it's open source. But I think part of what's made Puppet powerful from an open source perspective is the community engagement and the fact that we're collaboratively building these different um, open source projects and that we're collaboratively building content. That is what I think truly makes open source its most powerful. And so really think if you're going to do an open source solution or have that be part of your business model, how are you going to invest in and engage and nurture and grow and sponsor and give a voice to your community so that you keep them engaged so that it truly is really executing open source at what I think is the most powerful level and form. Yvonne, thank you so much for your time and sharing your great insights today. Great. Mike, thank you. It's been wonderful. And again, I really appreciate the opportunity. Special thanks to the Puppet team for helping to coordinate this episode. Editing by Inez Sitenji. Transcription by Marina Anjakovic. Music from Broke for Free, Chris Zabriskie, and Lee Rosevier. The podcast Twitter handle is at FOSS Podcast. That's F-O-S-S Podcast. Please tweet at us if you have any comments on this episode. Next time, we talk to Tracy Reagan from DeployHub, a great technologist and founder CEO. Stay safe, everyone. Until next time. Thanks for listening.